Hey, it's Rex Aldana with my buddy Mark Stevens, and we're back with another Eurythmics podcast. This is number twenty-four. Hey, Mark, Hello, how's Rex. it going? It's I'm just going well. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, this particular podcast. Um, well, actually, Mark, I'll let you explain why how how we got the inspiration to do this podcast because of something recent that happened, and uh, after that, we'll go right into it. But yeah. Yeah, well, as everyone knows, uh, Annie Lennox uh, did a fantastic uh, concert recently uh, to uh, as part of a group of people honoring Joni Mitchell. Um, and uh, Annie gave just, I think, just one of her best performances, live performances, of, and, and it was a cover of Both Sides Now. And... Um, that was just amazing. I mean, you know, this comes on a few months after Annie and Dave being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, she recently did a, a performance uh, for the Prince and Princess of Wales of uh, Here Comes the Rain Again, was which was amazing. And now this, you know, and, and it wasn't just Annie's performance of Both Sides Now, which I want to talk about just a little bit, you know, but she joined the other performers uh, Brandy Carlisle, Cindy Lauper, lots of other people, um, and and eventually Joni Mitchell on stage as well. Um, so you know uh, she's she's been doing a lot lately in the sense of at least live performance. In that sense, we don't get a lot of that from Annie Lennox these days, and so it was great to have that. Right. But um, both sides now has long long been a favorite song of mine. And when I heard that Annie was going to get to sing that as part of the Joni Mitchell special, I really was looking forward to it. I yeah. thought, okay, this is this is going to, because I've wanted her to sing this for so long. You know, and of course we know that she loves Joni Mitchell and uh, she recorded only one cover, Ladies of the Canyon, uh, years ago, a Joni, Joni Mitchell cover. So. I was really looking forward to this. And I have to say, she did not disappoint. No. I thought I thought her version of it was inspired. It was just amazing. And I thought it, for me, it was incredibly emotional. Yeah, me too. And it really was inspired. I love the way she started at the piano, like kind of a normal Annie Lennox kind of performance. And then, you know, she stands up and moves towards the audience and gets closer and then is singing to Joni. And, uh, and then even at the end, she throws in a little bit of why, which... Um, I, she said in an interview that she kind of it was kind of spontaneous on her part, and she wasn't sure how that was going to be received. But I thought it was great. Um, yeah, she 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 ended that, and it was it was such a crescendo. I mean, she was you know um, there, and she she says, "Do you do you know what I feel?" And she spreads her arms out to the audience. And so, yeah, it was interesting to know that that afterward that she said just what you were talking about that she said, you know. Well, I wasn't expecting to do that. I, it just came out. And that's the great thing about live performance. And that's always been the great thing about live performance from Annie mm -hmm. is she's so in the moment, you know. Right. And I think, and you can go and read comments, you know, on YouTube of people who have posted this, you know, um, you can read the comments and they they talk about, you know, that 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 line from why is in there at the very end. And people get it that there was this moment in time for Annie, who has always adored and really said, I think has basically said, 
you know, there probably wouldn't have been Annie Lennox, the singer, had it not been for Joni Mitchell, the singer and songwriter, of course. Um, so, you know, it was a tie. It was this great moment where all of that came together, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And um, loved well, that. I mean, obviously, I think she was what, what she was saying with that was, you know, Joni was my inspiration. Uh, you know, Diva was her solo debut as a as a as a singular songwriter and um probably like there couldn't there probably wasn't an annie lennox without a Joni mitchell there probably wasn't a diva without a you know court and spark or blue or whatever um so i think what she's doing is she's saying you know she's my inspiration and yeah and that song started it all for me yeah and that song you know it's it's leading up to you know the, the feelings of love and all the different things about that and that 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 is so amazing yeah. that uh, she was able to you know be so emotional with that at the end yeah yeah it was a great performance anybody who hasn't seen it should definitely check it out so it inspired our podcast today which is we thought let's talk about some of our favorite one-off uh eurythmics or annie lennox performances um and performances that are not part of a tour just one-off television appearances or things like that, uh, uh, charity appearances. So we've come up with a list of 10, five from each of us, and we're just going to run down, talk about them, and um, we'll be posting this on YouTube as well, so we'd love to see people's comments. Um, and, and I would and I would say to say, you know, I doubt these are not necessarily what we're saying are the 10 best live tracks. Right. Ever done by Dave and Annie or Rhythmics, whatever just personal favorites, just just some favorites, you know. And when I when we said hey, maybe we should do that, and I went back and I'm like, oh, well, here's one, and here's one, and here's yeah, one. I know. And I would take it out and like, okay, no, 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 I'm not. We we shouldn't, you know. It would have been easy to take, you know, for me like Missionary Man from the Revival tour. I think oh, that's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, right. I said yeah. okay, so I'm gonna not do tours mm -hmm. just sort of one-off performances or special concert or something and um, go from there so yeah um, although one would say you know if these are our personal favorites perhaps they are some of the best yeah well <laughs> anyway yes anyways i'll start i'll, I'll go first <laughs> since mark was good and kind enough to do the whole introduction about Joni mitchell and how this all came to be that really okay. long introduction no, sorry that was, no that was good and, and um, again anybody who hasn't seen that go check it out on youtube Gosh, yeah. um this is no in no particular order for me these are just my five favorites so the first one i'm going to pick is eurythmics performing would i lie to you on the a and e live by request special that came out in i think 2000 right around january february 2000 yeah um the reason why i like that performance so much is because it's the only time i've ever heard a live version of what i lied to you that sounds like the album completely like the album mm. um i'm not sure why but i'm sure we've all noticed that in live versions of what i lie to you dave's guitar isn't as loud or prominent in live versions as it is on the on the on the recorded version you know you got da -na -na -na, but live kind of more muted never understood that but this performance on um a and e was you know that guitar came blaring out and even at the rock and roll hall of fame performance uh the the guitar uh i think was blaring more than it had been in previous live performances but is that something you ever noticed mark i mean that guitar 
in the song being not as aggressive as it is on the album? Well, I hadn't thought about it, so I hadn't thought about it, but I I, I know that performance you're talking about, and I'd gone back and actually I'd watched that a whole uh, concert uh, just a few weeks ago, and it is really it is really good that that version of what I lied to you and, and maybe the, the horns yeah. and everything. I mean, it's like it's complete. It sounds like you know, but um, they always did maybe truncated versions, or they would you know do the. Uh, they would bring in the Beatles song at the end, you know, on the Re a revenge tour. Well, you know, it's interesting because that would have been recorded while they were on the peace tour, mm. the a &E special. Uh, and of course they were doing sort of the medley uh, uh, with what a lot of you ball and chain and sisters on the tour. So this specific performance, you know, they weren't doing that. And so they, they did, they took, um, they, they were performing, a different quote, a different version of what I lie to you. So this is really interesting. Now, keep in mind too, on that same show, they did sort of the really rock version of Sweet Dreams. Mm, you right, mean right. their version of Marilyn Manson's version of Sweet Dreams in a way. And so right. the reason you mention that is that's a very heavy guitar driven piece that they did so maybe that had something to do with how dave was doing his guitar for this particular performance yeah. that you brought up i, I should clarify that i i it's not that i don't like the live versions of what i lied to where the guitar seems not as uh strong it's just you know it, it's just noticeable from the from the record for, to the to the mm -hmm. to the live performance but but this one on a and e it was the only time i've ever thought wow that that sounds just like the album and it you know it's not being live is not about sounding like the album i understand that i mean being live is is part about being alive alive is doing it differently experimenting changing it up but it's also nice to hear sometimes the way it is when you hear it coming out of your stereo at home you know I, you ever been to a concert where you you know they sound just like the record and you're like wow you know, they 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 obviously didn't do much in the studios and they're from what they're doing on stage. You know, it's just they just recorded it. No, that's it's interesting. No, it's it's the thing with Eurythmics. They they always, you know, uh, did great things with the songs, changed them up quite a bit sometimes for stage. And uh, but it is sometimes it's always nice to hear a totally different version. And this is yeah. is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go to your first pick. Oh, wow. Okay, from my first pick. Okay. Well, do you remember uh, there was a BBC performance that Dave and Annie did with Kid Jensen on the BBC, um, July 18th, 1982. Now, this particular show, four tracks, uh, was rebroadcast just a few years ago. It's, they picked out some of their favorites, and this was one of them, and I can certainly see why. Now, this show, I did some research, uh, is very interesting because what they were having people do uh, that would have musicians come in and they would record this, they did a recording session. So it was partly studio, partly live, partly some some people had sort of said like, you know, really well done demos almost. But what they performed here, uh, I've Got an Angel, Love is a Stranger, which by the way, had not been issued as a single. It was almost ready to come out as a single. Oh, wow. Uh, 
then a very early version of somebody told me, which some of us may have heard those early version. Uh, so it's a totally different version of somebody told me. And then four, four and leather, which is interesting for that because it's probably as close to quote a studio version that you're going to get. But keep in mind, this show is recorded as they're recording these sessions. So it's partly live. It's partly, yeah. um, so it's a little hybrid of all of it, but I bring this up because of one of the four songs, which is the first song that they perform, which is I've Got an Angel. And I just am enthralled with this version of I've Got an Angel. Um, and um, and it, they, they describe it as an unusual hybrid of synths, electronic, electronic drums, and wah-wah guitar with, of course, flute from Annie. So, but her vocals on this are just sublime. Mm -hmm. I think it's ethereal. I think it's almost primitive. It's evocative, everything about it. It's so beautiful. Yes. And the other tracks too are incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, 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 it's not completely an, an alternative version to what ended up on the album it's much it's a little bit longer i think yeah. but um just her vocals are out of this world yeah. and when you think about what she's doing and the time period and this show for example i know they had been well known with the tourists so they weren't people who had, weren't known but you know eurythmics first album had been already been released of course and was not successful yeah. but that they were still being able to get on shows like this and being able to perform it just it had to be a testament that people knew what good musicians they were even though they had not had this major success that was really only months away exactly yeah. but and you can you can find this concert imagine how hard they were trying at that time i bet not trying to be good but just trying to, yeah, as i say trying to knock down that door yeah, and they were they were going all out, and and you can tell in this in in these four songs just how good. And you can find this on YouTube. There are a couple of people who have it up. Uh, there's a a Mr. David who has it up. There is a, a YouTube called Fruitier Than Thou. No idea. And <laughs> love it. Yes, and so you can find both all these four tracks. So if you have not heard them and you're listening to this. I urge you to go listen because yeah. they are really incredible. And it's it for me, it's a go-to, I'm, I'm going to call it live performance because I think it partly is. Uh, um, it, it's a go-to for me. Uh, it it well, makes my day. I'm familiar with it. I have to, I will be honest and say I have, probably haven't listened to it in a while, but I will tell you that my recollection of that set is that I've got an angel and four, four and leather always stood out for me. Yeah. So um, this is going to spur me. I, I got to go back and listen to that. I've got an angel version now again to refresh. And it it, it starts out almost like a, almost has like this little groove to it, almost like a 70s yeah. <laughs> pop song. Yeah. Just just yeah. a brief moment. There's this little groove to it. And then it gets into that. Maybe you, they started the wrong song. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, they did, maybe they were starting a tourist song. No, it was just, I think they were getting it ready, but oh my God, it's, it's so good. And I, I and I don't know if they performed other things that never got released or anything. I have I have no idea. I don't think so. But uh, geez, it's it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Now, what's your next pick? 
All right. Well, <laughs> my next pick is a is a uh, performance that I was actually lucky enough to see in person. It was on the Tonight Show. I believe it was June or July 1995. I tried to get the exact date, but I couldn't find it. Anyways, she appeared on the Tonight Show promoting Medusa, and she sang a wider shade of pale. Yeah. In a very bizarre performance where she was dressed up in the you know the Pagliacci suit and and everybody and all the backing band members had the bear costumes on which which it sounds great until she stands on the chair and everybody in the, <laughs> this midwestern corn-fed audience that you know they're all visiting hollywood and they're all expecting to see this you know singer annie lennox and here is this woman singing a quite a restrained version of of wider shade of pale by the way the vocally it's very restrained um and i'm sure it was done on purpose she gets on the chair it's very avant-garde and i it bewildered a lot of people in the audience because i remember we were talking as we were in line we were talking to people who were all visiting from the midwest and and um well who's the musical artist well it's annie lennox and they were like you know these are old these were middle-aged at the time they were middle-aged midwesterners and annie lennox and and you know so they sort of had to be reminded you know sweet dreams oh they, then they knew who she was right so after the performance we saw some of those same people again and they just were so bewildered they, they were just like like they wanted to come up and say hey i just loved that it was so great but they were bewildered by it because it was kind of a bizarre and that's what i loved about it i mean when she stood on the chair i mean i just was thrilled i thought it was one I just thought it was great. I love anything that subverts expectations. Well, I'm thinking, too, that what you're saying is that it's not necessarily like a live performance of a song that you put it in this top 10 kind of thing or this list of 10, but it's the performance itself. It's what happened. It's what she did with it. Exactly. And bringing that up... um, I don't think either one of us, this is just a quick aside, picked the uh, Grammy performance of Sweet Dreams where she's in in dressed up as Earl. Neither one of us picked that, yet that is the perfect example of what are your what you're just talking about right now. Um mm-hmm. and frankly I'm surprised I didn't <laughs> I didn't think of that one. Um but yeah, back to what you were saying. Yes, it can be about what was done in that performance. Not and it may not be so much vocally, it could be what was done, which what 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 image was being projected. But that was a a very bizarre performance and I think it was it was very something you would see more on top of the pops than you would on American TV because you know they take a lot of chances on top of the pops with costumes. Look at her with walking on broken glass with that brown yeah. wig. I mean she never would have done that over here. That was, you know, people would have been like, "What?" So that was a what moment. And I love I love what moments, you know, like Dave always yeah. used to say, what did what did people in the Midwest think when they heard Beethoven for the first time? I like things <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, and I think, too, for what we're trying to do with this specific podcast, because there are so many songs that you could say, yeah, these are performances that were insanely good um, that. Um, but I think what we've both done is like try to find things that are a little different, a little out of the norm. Uh, and um, um, not necessarily, you know, it just depends. So we'll see as we go along, because actually sitting here, I'm thinking of two or three other songs. Well, I I'm know. going to change my mind by the end of this podcast <laughs> on what my top five are. I know, I'm, not, I'm suddenly thinking of other ones too that, uh, well, maybe we'll maybe this means we'll have to do a part two on this. Anyway. Well, it would be terrible, wouldn't it? Okay. So now, what I, is your next it's a good pick? Because it's, it, it, and I remember it distinctly. And you kind of remember like, wow, that was different. And 
you know, and no one's like, no one does anything like Annie Lennox does. I mean, you just like, she does what she wants to do. I mean, my guess is the record company was like, oh, please don't do that. You're <laughs> you going to perform don't... in a clown, you're going to perform in a, in a Pagliacci sort of clown suit yeah. on national television with this wider shade of pale, the sixth the... kind of psychedelic song. On the Tonight Show, which was, you know, at the probably time, the biggest thing you could be on for a musical performance here, you know, or one of the biggest shows you could be on. Jay Leno, you know, but hey. hey my, was... Just real quick, my personal theory about all the Im imagery behind Wider Shade of Pale with the bears and the and the uh, the circus stuff and the Pagliacci. I'm wondering, you know, she loved that song as a young girl. I wonder if she remembers her childhood bedroom. If she would listen to the song, maybe she had you know, things, things, things of that nature decorating her bedroom that just reminds her. Anyhow, your next, your next pick. <laughs> okay. Uh, this uh, is a total one-off performance um, from February 9th, 1986, uh, the Colombian Volcano Concert uh, Relief Concert. It was the, been a disaster uh, and uh, raising money to help. And uh, so this quickly came together. It's at the Royal Royal, Al Royal Albert Hall. And interestingly enough, this concert was partially helped organized by Choo Choo Mochon, who would eventually, in just a few months from then, be performing one of the band members of the Revenge Tour. I don't know if that's how she met him, if she already knew him. Anyway, but I always found that interesting. Yeah. But what did Annie Lennox perform here? Well, she did two songs, but one solo performance. And I think this is the first Annie Lennox solo performance ever. Mm. And mm. she is accompanied on the piano by Patrick Seymour, another eventual revenge band member. She does Stevie Wonder's Blame It on the Sun. Mm -hmm. And this is one of my top Annie Lennox performances ever. I absolutely adore this. It's absolutely stunning. And I think I have said this on this podcast before. I forget where I say things, but when Annie Lennox had the website and from time to time, she'd be on the website, she'd be asking questions. And I mentioned this song. She didn't remember doing it. Oh, she had that. no memory of it at all, which I replied, you know, uh, yes, and told her what it was, and you know, and um, but I, which just shocks me to no end that it, that she didn't remember performing. It's so beautiful. Well, it's and considering considering, like you said, it's her would have been her first. Uh, although who knows if she was even thinking of it that way at the time, her first solo performance. But that it's Stevie Wonder, one of her idols as well. That you know, you know. Mm -hmm. But again, so much goes on when you're in, like Lauren Stevens said, when you're yeah. in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. You're moving from one thing to the, the yeah. next. We internalize this so much differently than they do. And we do our personal lives. You know, again, somebody can ask me, well, what you did 20 years ago? I'm like, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. But I mean, this was such a great performance. And it's it's one of those things. It's kind of the flip side of both sides now that I've always hoped that she would do a studio version of it, that she would do, mm. you know, kind of a proper yeah. cover. I'd love her to do a Stevie Wonder covers album or something like that. But it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's just the piano and Annie. And um, it's so emotional. It's such a beautiful song. I'd never heard the song before she did it. So it was. I hadn't heard it either. And um, 
yeah, it's a beautiful song. And I did go listen to Stevie Wonder's version, you know, after I heard her version. And yeah, I agree with you. It 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 is one of the great one of her great performances out there. We should also mention she also well the other song she did was um Give It Up. Give It Up with Chrissy Hind, which is uh, Hine, yeah. a Casey in the Sunshine band song. Yeah. And can I just say I don't think Casey and the Sunshine band gets enough respect. They were pretty darn good, you know, for a, a disco band. They mm-hmm. are played very well and they wrote great, great melodies. I don't know if Casey was the one who wrote did all that stuff, but I always liked them, even back in their heyday. So to see Chrissy Hind and Annie Lennox singing one of their songs, like, okay, if they can do it, they must be cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was a it was a great performance. So I mean it could easily have made this one well, of the I don't top. want to take away from your pick, which no, no, no. I was going to mention it, but it, it is, and you know, she, then she gets out on stage with Chrissy and performs this great version of "Give It Up." So, if if you haven't seen these two, you can. I know you can find Pl- "Blame It on the Sun" on YouTube. Uh, I'm certain "Give It Up" is there as well. Yeah, but uh, that the by the way, this concert was released um, on video, and remember, this is 1986. This is still the early days of video albums. It it came out in this hard kind of case, you know. Yes, I remember that. And it, it cost a fortune too. It was really very expensive, but I bought it, and it's a cherished eighty nine ninety nine. Remember that available yeah. tomorrow eighty nine ninety nine. Oh yeah, yeah. It, these things were not cheap back in the day. If you right. were a fan and you wanted to get this stuff, you shelled out the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you had to be basically a probably a middle aged adult who's somewhat comfortable to to have indulged in all that when it first came out <laughs> well I, I wasn't a minute <laughs> no no uh, i mean i mean if you were the type to buy those kind of movies all the time you know like spend all the time all the time hundred dollars oh, yeah. on a movie every time it came out you know and what five thousand dollars on a vcr you know <laughs> yeah but those were the days i we do those were the days. all right what's your next pick okay so my next pick is the Eurythmics doing their medley on the 2005 American Music Awards, and they were, oh. and they, were they were promoting the Ultimate Collection at the time, mm-hmm. and also I think the point at that point they were they had just become eligible for induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think or maybe in 2004. So the release of Ultimate of, of Ultimate Collection and that I think was meant to say, hey nominate us you know it's we're it, you know here we are remember us and you it think? worked you know it worked um the 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 song i got a life was pretty big actually i mean when, when you consider it got to 29 in the u.s that's not that's not bad and did much better in europe and but anyways it's a great medley and they perform under the big star a big red star you know and and dave and annie have the black suits on with the white shirts and the ties and it just was great. I remember watching it at at some people's house that um, that weren't all that familiar. They knew Annie Lennox, but weren't so familiar with Eurythmics. You know, they were a baby boomer couple. No offense to any baby boomers out there listening who who may be like, "Hey, I totally know who she is," but um, or who Eurythmics are. But um, they were just blown away by the you know, I mean, you know, Dave with his guitar and Annie with those vocals and the Missionary Man and all that. It just it's a great hard rocking performance and i think um oh you know he's the one who replaced dick clark I, his name is, es- is escaping me right now. oh uh, ryan sequit right he's the one who introduced them and he talked about how he had their records when he was a child a, te- a young teenager and all that stuff and i just thought it was great you know so just a great pro- what i liked about it is sort of it said to people look 
look, look, look what they can do. This, this is Eurythmics, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, they, they did that same performance at the UK Music Hall of Fame. Mm, mm, I think preceded it. I mean, they did the same lineup. So two times they performed that sort of thing. And I always go back and forth on them. Like, I think, Sweet Dreams was better at the Music Hall of Fame, that part. And then the... Uh, you do the mix and match. You do a mix and match. <laughs> but but the set there with the giant red star yeah. on the American Music Awards is so fantastic. I actually mentioned that to Lawrence Stevens once. Yeah. And I said, did you I know? Yeah. And uh, he didn't know. And I actually sent him, you know, like a picture of it uh, because, you know, it, what a what a testament to that the star, the red star was such a well-known symbol for them. And and like you were saying earlier, this was a performance where the imagery came together really well, you know, it was striking. Um, And then of course those suits, I always thought they looked great in those black suits that were, that were were doing for the ultimate collection. They just looked really good. And um, again, a great performance, great look, great clothes. It all just melds perfectly. And we should mention they got a standing ovation for that too. Yeah, the which happens crowd. happens a lot with her and with your. It does, you know. It um, does. Well, you you know you you've just seen something great. I mean, there's yeah. any there's no doubt. When we got back from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, my partner was like, "Wow, I sh- she got the biggest standing ovation of the evening." I think when she went to the podium, and I was like, "All right, <laughs> there we go." Okay, um, me, your turn. All right, all right. So let me just say, and I have said this before. This may be my favorite Eurythmics live performance of all time. And it's from May 27th, 1983, from the old gray whistle test. And it's live version of the walk with a gospel choir, Mm. grand piano. Mm. And it's insane. It is so good. They also perform on the show. Um, um, the city never sleeps mm, yeah. again with the gospel choir, which you sort of get on Sweet Dreams, the video album, right? right. Where, where they they did that. I don't know if they recorded one a version two to put on the video album of the walk, and it never got on it. Any in any event, this is so amazing. This this performance yes. I mean, again, you can find this on YouTube. I encourage you to look it up. I would have to say that's one of mine too. That I now that I you know it's like oh that should have been on my list. Well, yeah. it's, it's just amazing. And I and love it. It was probably all done at the same time when they were using like that gospel choir on the, you know, in that, that video we get on the, on the album. Well, I, I sort of could count as a, as a, as a video for that song, really. Yeah. I, I, what, what my guess is, uh, is that they had the musicians together and they either performed on the old gray whistle test in that really that same time frame or they may have been using the old gray whistle test almost as, um, you know, a, 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 a test to see right. how it would work. And right. then they went on and, and perform, uh, recorded a piece for Sweet Dreams, the video album. Uh, so I had also, I had read years ago that they also performed Jennifer. And I asked um, uh, uh, another Eurythmics expert recently if, if he had ever heard that or had seen it or heard and and he had not. Would that so be I, Eric? <laughs> yeah, it was Eric. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shout out to Eric. Gustin, Eric Gustin. Uh, and uh, I don't, um, 
and he's a good expert on live material. Yeah. So that may not be true. They may never have done that. But I know I read that years and years and years ago, and I kept waiting for it. But if they did, we didn't. We didn't. No one has it. But um, I just love this performance. I love watching Annie in it. She is. It's it's one of those performances where she's so into it. And what's the line? Um, backward, backward, and her and she's flipping her head from just back and forth and back and forth and that that choir is just amazing and that piano it's it's a beautiful performance and i think again what is so amazing about eurythmics and eurythmics live and in those early days they took no prisoners they 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 were doing things that nobody else was doing mm -hmm. and i know you know we love eurythmics and all that kind of stuff but I mean, you can't help but say very few groups at that time would have had an opportunity to be on national television and not simply performed whatever their big single was at the moment or, you know, and, and sort of doing it exactly like the album. Let's not make any waves. Let's not confuse anyone. Just imagine you're, you, you have this platform and you're performing two songs that are not singles and you're performing with a choir, a gospel choir. And um, it's, it's what I love about them. It's what I right. absolutely positively love about them that yeah. you never knew what was going to come out. <laughs> and it was always going to be um, something really extra special. And, and I, and I, mean, I can listen to it. And hey, I really wish I had. I really liked about this. What has always drawn me back to it is that it was so incredible that um, when you think about, they had this national television platform for this, and so many artists and so many record companies would have said, "Okay, just perform your latest single and probably the next single, and don't deviate too much." And that was the great thing about them. They were always taking chances. They were always thinking, you know, quote, out, out of the box, the cliche, but out of the box or whatever, and doing things like this. Yeah. Um, and and I don't think a lot of musicians would have taken that chance. Yeah. Um, right. And um, it's just an amazing performance. I can go to it anytime and listen to it. Yes, I agree. And that reminds me of the Whiter Shade of Pale um, performance, you know, um, it was a bizarre thing and it wasn't expected. And I could see the label saying, that's weird. And is, is it really going to make people run out and buy? I mean, like if you heard the album version of Wider Shade of Pale and then you heard the version that she's saying live, I don't know that you would go out and buy it because it wasn't done in a way like, hey, this is so good and buy me. It was more like the, the artistry of it. And you might, if you, if you liked it for that reason, for the artistry and for the performance, that's... I think what was trying to get across there, but now I'm going back to this old thing. So sorry about that. Anyhow, well, I think that I think that is what makes interesting that makes Eurythmics and Annie Lennox performances interesting. That you may be watching that again. You said the audience may not have known who she was. Not all, not the whole audience, but some people in the audience. Um, but you may be watching that and thinking that is, you know, you you may be looking at that differently from. Exactly. The way somebody else is looking. Maybe an artistry kind of thing, or maybe a performance kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's what she's done. Yeah. Exactly. And um, by calculatedly not playing to 
sell records and maybe just make an artistic statement is very, you know, very much like them and very much like her. And that's what I appreciate about, about those kind of things. You know, I'm sure the record company would have been like, could you do a more standard version of that song? But yeah. well, I mean, you know, with uh, the old gray whistle test, too, with these two gospel tinged performances, um, you know, you're 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 you really are sort of taking a risk. You know, because you have this platform and uh, you it's it would in the pop music business, I think even now, even then, whenever it's easy to confuse the public, probably. Right. So would people like, well, what's what what's that about? Is is that because it, it's not like that the synth wasn't in there, the, the you know, that that kind of performance of the, what the original The Walk was. But, um, you know. It, they, they just they were having so much fun back then yeah I mean, just whatever they were doing I mean, and i think they, it was about trying to show their their you know their creativity and and their eclecticism and what they can do you know we're not just this cold icy electronic band look at what we can do here with gospel singers mm -hmm. and 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 yeah. pianos yeah i mean the that's a it's a good point there, the the amount of warmth you know uh that's coming out of that song you know that deep uh, uh, well, as chilly as any rhythmic song might be, it's her voice that keeps is what makes it ultimately warm mm. and inviting. You know, yeah. even if yep. it's a even if it's a cold sentiment. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right, so um, my turn, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so I like the one of my favorites is her performance of "Why" on Saturday Night Live in 1992. This was before Diva came out, so I believe it was. Uh, uh like march or april 92 because the album came out in may here i do know we had a we had a holiday that weekend i think so it might have been easter or something i don't know. anyhow um to me that performance is great you know this is the first time we had ever heard the song um it was the first time anybody had seen her as a solo artist uh or since she, the eurythmics heyday and the outfit, I think, is to me, is so Victor Victoria. I mean, she looks just, I mean, it's Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria. And of course, that's a whole play on, you know, she's known for her androgyny. And considering that I'm sure the label probably wanted a softer image for Diva, which she did give them with the imagery and all that, it's interesting that she chose to come out in her first public performance for this album, at least in the United States in this very androgynous look it was very i thought it was very um um feisty and you know like i'm not going to play by the rules you know i'm sure clive davis probably would have preferred had she you know looked a little more demure but <laughs> but well, yeah. but it was a great it's a great performance and i i remember being at somebody's house the next day and somebody made a comment yeah did you see andy lennox on saturday night live last night they were like wow you yeah. know and that was my first clue that oh Wow, this might this might be a diva might be a hit, you know. <laughs> there, I rem yes, and we were all waiting up to watch that, you know, because it was the first time we were going to hear from Annie on whatever two songs, the, two yeah, songs, yeah, whatever this Annie Lennox solo project was, you know, and she's her hair is slicked back, it's brown, uh -huh, you know, it's uh -huh. slicked back, and and I and I, it's in embedded in my memory her outfit mm -hmm. and it wasn't just it it wasn't a whole tuxedo it was at you know the hard uh shelled 
um, uh, tux shirt, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's, I don't even know if there's a term for that, but you know, and I guess she does, and, and her sleeves were the French cuff sleeves, but they were a little long, you know, right. Right. and uh, of course the other song that she did perform was Legend in my Legend in my living room, which a little bit back to the video that we would eventually see for for right. Legend, but uh, Y was so amazing, um, especially, and you know, especially the end, you know, with the the spoken part at the end, which you don't know what I feel. <laughs> yeah. I I also remember another comment from an older man the next day who probably would not have been been the type to admit it to be a big Annie Lennox fan. But his reaction was something like, "Did you did you see her last night?" Hmm. <laughs> like you know, I didn't, he didn't know what to think about that. It scared him a little, and that's what I love about it. I mean, here she is supposed to be. This is her solo debut, the softer Annie or whatever. But she comes out and she does this, and it's still a little off putting and a little alienating to some people. And I just love that. I love anything that, like I said before, that subverts expectations. Well, but, but it's, know, it's okay. interesting looking back on that performance because of everything that you're talking about is spot on because the um, promotion, at least in the U S for diva was a little more, uh, uh, I don't know if the right word is feminine, but let's oh. just, just, just say that but it was a more uh, toned down Annie Lennox. And I don't know if she purposely did that, but she, it was a different kind of look, but that initial U.S. performance was anything but. It right. was it was again very much the androgyny that she had made famous and somewhat discarded in a way right. whenever and, she wanted and some, to. And somewhat I mean, seems to disdain from time to time. Yeah, I, and I don't. You know, I think when you really know what's going on and you followed them from 85 and 86 and 87 and 88 and all, on all these things, you know, she was far more than the quote gender bender and the androgyny stuff. And it, you know, by today's standard, it's, it's, it's so most of it is not even extreme. No, no not anymore. <laughs> but, uh, no. It's funny that, to think that she was considered controversial because nowadays. Oh God, no, wouldn't be anything. But, but you know, uh, I have to make a comment about, you know, we were saying we had never heard these songs before from Diva. We didn't know what we, we, we were so not hearing these songs that when I recorded the performance and I went to write on the label, the names of the songs, it was why and have mercy. Because uh-huh. I think the song, the song must be called have mercy. You know, I, yeah. instead um, it's called legend in my living room. One little brief excerpt from a stanza, you know, and yeah. so, but to this day i still have that label that says have mercy and i just think that's really funny that, I will that's say, how how much we had not heard anything you know? uh the these performances from saturday night live are not easy to find too mm-hmm. you will not find on youtube um these performances no they, they take them off they take them off. yes you i think there is somewhere you can see saturday night lives performance uh, that night on the saturday night live website or nbc or whatever it is but i don't think you can even see legend in my living room i could be wrong Mm -hmm. but they are not easy to find and um another fan actually recently sent me a recording of it and he sent and um and i was so thrilled just and i've got it somewhere you know on my myriad vhs tapes that i don't even have a vcr to stick them in (laughs) 
Yeah. Did, you, did you ever convert those to like DVD or anything? I'd, I had converted some over time, but it's such a process. I know. And, it, and now we have know. to convert them to digital. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it, yes, many times things have been converted, but, and then even those things, you know, it's, it's, um, it's quite the tasks and, and often I'm not in the mood to sit down in front of a bunch of videotapes. Probably hire, hire somebody to do it. That'd be good. <laughs> you know, um, one now more thing about, one more thing about this and then we'll move on to your thing. Um, not a few days after that aired, I was, uh, I had stopped at a gas station to get gas and, uh, was paying inside and lo and behold, why was playing on the radio. And, <laughs> and I thought, I, it was right then that I knew for sure, okay, this is doing something. Because, uh -huh. you know, I saw the reaction the performance got from people, and now I'm hearing this on what was a very mainstream radio station being played there in the gas station. It wasn't a piped-in thing. It was an actual local radio station. So that was my first clue. Okay, this is this is making, this is striking a nerve. People are, because, you know, here in the U.S., We Too Are One didn't do much of anything. Savage, you know, not much of anything. So we were starved here for a, for a hit you know <laughs> yeah that's true uh, but it was it was clear something was about something big was about to happen and remember arista promoted it as uh the commitment is real they, uh, if anybody has that diva home video that's a promo thing that they sent out mm -hmm. at the end of the whole thing the commitment is real written in the almost that annie lennox type typograph that's on the diva album cover yeah interesting so i remember somebody said to me at the time see that they're they're really going to push this <laughs> which they did which, which they did absolutely all right me right okay well i'm going to pick one that um interesting you just mentioned we two are one so this is a we two are one performance but it's the arsenio hall show from 1989 mm. a lot of people talk about this because it was just an amazing moment on talk late night television. <clears throat> they did perform and it's not, this is not, it's sort of as a whole, but the band came out and Charlie Wilson was with them and Joni's of course. And they did uh, a great version of my, my baby's going to cry really probably is one of the best live performances you saw live of it, you know, it was an Arsenio comes out after and he's, he's literally down on the floor. He's bowing down to them. And he's saying, I remember that, yeah. you know, um, uh, Charlie Wilson of the Gap band and your rhythmics, you know, you know, and he's bowing down to them and it's hilarious, but what's the best thing about this performance? And it's when Dave and Annie on both each on one side or the other, with sitting with Arsenio Hall just in front of his audience, this giant audience, just them, not not at the couch or anything where you usually talk to performers or guests rather. And he's sitting there with them and Dave has his acoustic guitar and he's asking them questions and all that sort of thing. And some pretty funny banter back and forth, but they do um, uh, a uh, acoustic version of Would I Lie to You? Mm -hmm. which was great and you know and so dave is sort of explaining to arsenio you know we can do any of our songs right. on an acoustic guitar and and arsenio said well well yeah well show me what you're talking about and so <clears throat> he does what i lie to you about what 50 seconds and annie's up dancing and singing along and and arsenio's just all into it and then of course they end up they do sweet dreams 
which is just, you know, I'm sure just knocked everybody's socks off because here's this famous, you know, synth song and here they're doing it acoustically mm, yeah. and they're proving to in front of everybody. Hey, the, we'll go back to that. The commitment is real. We know what we're talking about uh, this before, you know, but, uh, uh, but they close it, you know, they say, well, what, what can we close it with? And the audience is yelling thorn in my side and different things. And they do that really wonderful acoustic version. Again, it's like 60 seconds though of don't ask me why, which yeah, is they, so they ended up doing the current single, right? It wasn't, or, or, well, it, it, it had already been, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was the the, the biggest one from the album here. Yeah. So it, you know, yeah, and that acoustic version is so that that don't ask me why it's just like wow. Well, that whole performance, yeah. So well, yeah, and that's why uh, I included it because it. So many people talked about it mm-hmm. for years. They talked about it. Remember that time that they were with Arsenio Hall and they were just sitting there doing acoustic versions. And again, you have to remember the American audience had never seen them televised doing anything acoustically, except maybe on a, right. you know, a television. Only if you'd gone to the revenge show or saw the live revenge album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but as a performance, so right. we didn't get, we didn't get a lot of these things. Some of the things that we've talked about, you know, we didn't have an old gray whistle test where they could have done. So this was particularly amazing to see it. Uh, and, it's just one of those moments in pop history and pop culture that resonated with a lot of people and not just Eurythmics fans. It, 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 it was a defining moment for them, I think. Yeah, I think it, mo- it moved the marker for them, definitely, with the public. Uh, yeah, that was a great performance. Uh, oh, that the late 80s, <laughs> two or one. I remember in the end, um, it debuted at what, eight, eight? 18 on the on the uh mtv countdown here went up to 11 and then next week fell completely off and was just gone <laughs> don't ask me why the song well i i have always said i've said this on another podcast the the tour didn't get here until and they didn't pre- start performing on american television well yeah i was just gonna bring that up um it seems like when you look back at their career in the 80s in the u.s it's like I don't know what happened with the management and all that or the labels, but it didn't seem like they didn't get on TV and start playing until later in the career. You know, I mean, where were they during revenge and all that? I mean, I know they made some appearances, but it wasn't any, it wasn't until Clive Davis, you know, they hooked up with Clive Davis that they suddenly got all this TV airtime and all that, which I think was very beneficial to, you know, breaking, like you said, there were, there were things that the American audience had not seen, you know, well, I think it was and all that, but the the time sometimes didn't work out the best for them in the sense of what they could have done. Yeah. American television was so different. I mean, uh, why, why wasn't the revenge band on The Tonight Show doing Missionary Man back in 1986? Well, you know, they were touring here in the summer. Yeah. And I don't remember now. I don't know if, um, you know, in the summertime is when. Uh, you were getting repeats and stuff. You know, it wasn't new television. Now, I don't know about the Tonight Show and stuff. I don't remember if they took a summer hiatus. I have no idea. I don't don't think so. But, but, you know, they were a little avant-garde. They, you know, they weren't Bon Jovi or something that would have been easily, you know, thrown on 
um, the Tonight Show or something like that. It, it, the Tonight Show at that time. But the thing know, is, if, if you did put them on there, they, what a sensation it would make. Yes, know? it would have. And I, I, I think this comes As they down, do every time they perform. I think it comes down to RCA didn't really know what to do with them. Now, let's say if Clive Davis, the Arista uh, chief who got Annie and Dave to come over for We Tour One, and, and think about the think about all the performances they did for that. That's got to do with Clive Davis and Arista Records. Right. So I think what you've just brought up, and I hadn't ever thought about this necessarily, but I think what you just brought up has everything to do with the American record company. They did not know what to do with them. Exactly. They didn't know how to promote them. They were promoting other people. Um, and I think that comes down to that. Well, and probably, probably, probably the reason why they switched, you know, to, and, you know, and, and the intent obviously was to keep going, you know, it was heralded as a bold new beginning on all the stickers and all that. And I think if had the album been more successful in the U.S., I don't know that Eurythmics might have disbanded so quickly. Mm -hmm. you, you may be right. I mean, it was totally different kind of, everything would have changed. It, it was successful, but it wasn't, you know, a massive thing. So... Anyway, uh, it's a it's an interesting performance. You can find it on YouTube. I suggest you go do it if you've never seen it. It's a hoot. I love it. Wasn't Arsenio wearing like a dotted shirt, polka dotted shirt? That seems. Yeah, to I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's how much that's ingrained. You know that, that performance. It it really is one of the all time greats. Yeah. All right, your final pick. Well, speaking of what I all one of the all time greats, how can we not talk about Annie Lennox's duet with Hosier at the twenty fifteen <laughs> Gram? Was the Grammys right? Yeah. <laughs> where he sang, you know, they both sang his song, Take Me to Church, and then segued into her version of I've Got a Spell on You, which was from her then new album, Nostalgia. What a performance. I mean, she blew the audience away. She blew, I mean, I mean, she stole the show. And of course, I think the big thing was when she was doing the, wah, 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 you know, she was uh, mimicking a wah-wah pedal or mimicking a harmonica or a, or a, or a, or a, or a recorder i don't know but it was i mean it was thrilling and sent chills down your spine and it was so like um i don't want i don't want to say it was so classic rock but it there was something about it that just screamed you know i know what i'm doing i know about the blues i know about soul music i know about older baby boomers who like this kind of music <laughs> I think it was a very smart performance. You know, I think it thrilled fans. I think it turned on older listeners who like that kind of genre. And of course, duetting with Hozier on his song was great exposure for him. Um, he's back now, I see, with a new song. It's kind of funny that nothing much happened after that with him. You know, he uh, he put another album out after that, didn't do so well. But now he's got a new one out that I'm I'm seeing is getting airplay. So I I'm hoping that he has some more success because he's a he's a good artist. And um, but about that performance, I mean, it just stunned everybody. I mean, no, I mean, she trended all over the place the next day. You know, everybody was talking. She's talking about how people coming up to her in public and saying how much they enjoyed the performance. And um, another standing ovation, Taylor Swift, right? Jumped from the front row and was you know isn't it funny to watch the generations applaud her remember when alanis morissette jumped up at the 95 grammys yes i mean yes it is interesting to watch those people because you know at the moment 
you know, they're, you know, the uh, top person at the moment or the big talk of the town right. kind of thing. She was on her feet, front row, right there. I mean, and everyone saw her. They close, you know, and, camera went right. And what's her. great about that is her fans will go and check out it. I mean, that's something I would have done if when I was if I was seventeen years old and Annie would have been saying, I love this singer. I would I would go out and check out. That's how I checked out Joni Mitchell. That's how I checked out Dusty Springfield, you know. Um, yeah. So people do that, you know. If you're if the person you admire loves something, you want to check it out too, you know. Well, and and this and th this performance, um, which was so good. It, I, I, and also, I will say, she did a lot of performances on television here of uh, stuff from Nostalgia, including um, I Put a Spell on You. This is by far her best performance of I Put a Spell on You that she did. And she did a lot of them, a lot of early morning television, which quite frankly, and I was at one of them in New York watching her, you know, you getting up at 6 a.m. or whatever ungodly hour to go and perform and how anyone is able to sing that early is <laughs> amazing to me. But this was by far, if you just cut out the rest of it, you just take the part about, uh, about put a spell. She sounded great. She looked great. She was in the moment. And I want to mention real quick, um, that led to something else. A few days later, and this would have been a pick for me, but I ran out of five. You know, we limited ourselves to five. But she was on a tribute to Stevie Wonder, mm. where she did a live performance of My Sharia Amour. And that, well, that was that was Eurythmics, yeah. No, that was her. Oh, I'm thinking of... Um, yeah, just what Annie. Was the, what was the song Eurythmics did the, at the the tribute song when they reunited? Oh, no, not the Beatles, but Stevie Wonder. The Beatles, right. It was the Beatles. That's right. Yeah, okay. Stevie Wonder. And I think she had not been sl slated to perform on that, if mm. I understand this correctly. And well, that after, <laughs> after she blew out the water uh, at the Grammys, she ended up being, she, Ellen DeGeneres uh, had her on her show. Yeah. Yep. And she was able to do this um, tribute show for Stevie Wonder. And she did this. It's it's another one of my favorite performances, yeah. uh, my Sharia Moore, and good, yeah. it's so good. Um, and I don't think that would have happened. I know it wouldn't. I, if, if I understand this right, it wouldn't have happened had that Grammy performance yeah. not. It was a, a steamroll effect. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was so incredible. That that's just the amazing thing that when people see her live, when people see Annie Lennox live. And we'll go back to the first of this podcast where we're talking about both sides now. And so many people have been talking about her. When people have an opportunity to see her live and what she can do and how she performs, it either reminds them of how good she is. It tells them again how good she is and they didn't realize it. When Annie gets up on stage, she knocks people's so she knocks people's yeah. socks off. That's, yeah. that's all there is to say about it. Yeah. And, and that, continues to happen you know it's not hasn't diminished with age or anything like that i'm glad you picked that because i think it's it's a it's a pivotal moment yeah. in her later career yeah. uh with um and 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 you know she was nominated for uh, a grammy she didn't win <laughs> lady gaga and uh tony bennett won right. but uh you know i think that's important yeah and of course that was her last studio album we haven't had anything since, since nostalgia performance, a very pivotal performance. 
we, that was her last studio album. We haven't had anything from her since. So I think um, we're all wondering if we will and if so, when. <laughs> so. All right. Are we down to my last pick? Is that yep. right? That was my last pick. Yeah. So. Okay. So um, I'm going to, this, you know, this is a one-off thing. But and we've been heavy Annie Lennox tonight, more so in, in a way. Not maybe not necessarily, but we'll have to go back and see. But I'm going to pick her unplugged concert that she did uh, again. That sort of preceded Diva mm -hmm. uh, coming out, and uh, it's important for a few reasons. You get live versions of the Gift and Stay by Me, mm -hmm. which is not you know these never became staples in any of her solo concerts which is interesting and you got uh covers of river deep mountain high and my god that was incredible. i love that river deep. <laughs> i remember that she starts before she performed it you know she's sort of apologizing oh my gosh right. how can i possibly do tina turner my apologies to T my apologies to tina yeah. and then of course she blows it out of the water yeah. like when you and then she did a cover of feel the need and then don't let me down which was again incredible she did do a studio version of that that i think right. was on Walking on Broken Glass. The B side of the CD single of, well, yeah. I and, I will say this, that. and I will say this, the studio version is really good, but I think it pales in comparison to yeah. the live. It doesn't have the, the, um, the live version has so much more power. So much, so much more power. It's almost a little more restrained on the, on the studio version. Yeah. And it's so interesting that, you know, she would be doing that cover and it, it's not something that ended up a few years later on Medusa or anything just to right. recover. But, you know, well, so it's a great. And it's the first time she was a solo artist and she even talks about this in the concert. She, she opens with it's all right. Baby's coming back, which is fascinating. And she mentions in the concert that it was, you know, she was performing some, some eurythmic songs and it was quite clear to people that Dave and Annie had parted ways and it wasn't necessarily uh, you know, a happy time uh, between them sometimes. And so she said, I got day, I got Dave's permission. I, I, uh, he gave me permission or something to that effect uh, to perform Eurythmic songs. So she had felt the need to go ask him, which is interesting. You know, these songs are as much hers as, and, and I think that talks a lot about, about their mutual respect that she could have performed this. She didn't have to ask him. He doesn't have to ask her permission to do Eurythmic songs. Yeah. But I think that's something that is, that's a mutual respect between the two of them. Yeah, well, do you mind if I do that? courtesy, yeah. I mean. yeah. So, and um, so it was interesting. That performance was interesting here in the U.S. because we only got a 30-minute version of it. Right. The full hour on MTV Europe, I believe. And there's some versions out there that actually has Little Bird that doesn't have it on the other. So it's an interesting, you, there are lots of incarna incarnations of it. But it was always very annoying to realize when we got on right. a 30-minute version of it. And then you find out, wait a minute, Europe got and England and everyone right. else. Well, and MTV was showing hour-long versions of all these other artists in the U.S. But of course, let's give Annie Lennox the shaft and give her yeah. only 30 minutes. That was the annoying thing. Everybody else got an hour. Right. And I, I wonder if it was because it wasn't quite the same format. It wasn't filmed in that unplugged studio. It was done, you know, at the Montreux Jazz Festival. So it was a bit, it was almost as if she said, I'll do an unplugged for you, but I'm kind of going to do it my way. I'm going to do know? it my way. Yeah. And maybe MTV said, okay, well, then we'll show it our way. 
<laughs> who knows? <laughs> but hey, let's talk briefly about the big disappointment U.S. fans encountered when that first aired. Do you remember? Oh, no. It was what? supposed to come on one night on MTV and we were all right there waiting and it didn't. It was preempted. Remember, or something didn't something change and it didn't come on. And oh, we, were all, we were all right there waiting to record and at eight o'clock or whenever it came on and MTV said something like, the, the Annie Lennox Unplugged will not be shown tonight. We're showing it some, and we were all, you know, and it, it came on another night. But do you remember that? We were all right there. I don't. I'm sure I was <laughs> not a very It was happy. so very disappointing. Yeah. Not only did they give us the, the shaft with a 30-minute show, but then they also did that to us at the beginning, too, where we had to wait. We were all... Is it, this was, this is was right after the big appearance on Freddie Mercury Tribute, where she, another performance that, that you know, let's just say it, that performance, I think, really helped propel Diva, you know, that brought her back and people were like, oh, yeah, Annie Lennox said, wow, look at her. And she's with David Bowie. And, you know, so, well, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's almost like I didn't put it on my top five because yeah. I thought you were going to put it on yours. And so it's it's clearly a performance that, you know, is a top live perf oh, one -off yeah. performance. Definitely. But again, sort of my idea was to talk maybe a little bit about things that exactly necessarily that's a little bit different. And why am I talking about them? Right. But, you know, you can't you can't not. Uh, even you know you can't have a story about Annie Lennox that doesn't mention that performance mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. as as David Bowie said that dress <laughs> and it lives on that performance lives on it's 30 years later and um, every time that is shown that's always highlighted well of course the the fact that it's a duet with David Bowie gets it a lot of attention as well yeah. but uh, no I don't, he's passed on. I don't remember um, that disappointment that that it didn't get shown but you know that that tells you about the time times we were living in there was was no internet there was no social media so that we all knew you know hours ahead that it wasn't going to happen you're sitting there in front of the tv that's how you find out <laughs> and i believe i believe it, when it aired it was like live on all in all time zones or something like it was eight o'clock in america in california but it was 11 and so I don't think like we had the op, you know, because remember sometimes back in the day, you could get a call from your e from your friend on the other coast saying, hey, so it came on and this is what they did and all that. And so, you would know, ahead of time. Um, well, yes. I think like with that one, it was airing at the same time all. And so we were all disappointed at once. I could be wrong. Maybe some other fans remember that. But um, yeah, that was quite a make a comment. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, that um, I did. I just thought I just thought that should that particular that show should be mentioned simply because you know songs that were performed that didn't get performed other times that these cover versions and again you know she um she was she was doing it how she wanted to do it and mm -hmm. and this sort of new world for her yeah. this solo career and what was she going to look like she's in this you know long red dress mm -hmm. And I don't think she was a particular fan of MTV at that point. MTV had started to change and was becoming more lifestyle oriented with a lot of game shows and reality shows. And when she was at the Video Music Awards in 92, when she won for Why, um, they asked her about MTV. What do you, you know, do you, and her, she paused and she said, what I like about MTV is the unplugged. So what she did was she brought up something positive about MTV, but I think on the whole, well, I think we were all a little irritated with mtv when they when they changed from being just about music and they went into this everything else i mean what mtv is today is nothing it's it it's so bizarre that it even exists under that name 
because yeah, and then they chop the logo in half as as if to admit that we're not we're half of what, what we once were. Um, well, I, I never. It's one of those things that you you mistakenly come across when you're, you know, clicking through, and it's not like I even click through channels anymore. It's just not how you watch television. No. But if you if you end up and you come across it, you're just like. What first of it, this thing still exists, and mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is what it shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, it's funny you mentioned clicking channels. If I do that, my partner's like, Why are you clicking channel? What, what, what are you, 1985? What's going on? <laughs> but you know, what was particularly, I think, particularly egregious about them preempting the performance was I think in its place they showed something about spring break. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I remember it was something very irritating like, Really, you, preempt, you preempted this for something like this? Oh. But, that that, know, that that they, that probably it, that they showed it to be that, that they showed it at all eventually, even in the thirty minute version. We're probably lucky that we got it from MTV at the time. <laughs> yeah, I know MTV used. I know it doesn't make money for them, but it was so pure when it was just like video radio, when there was just a, a VJ and and music videos and some music news every now and then. Mm. That was so pure and so beautiful, even with a lot of the corporate sewage we had to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But anyway, this was, you know, um, this was just our idea to just that when Annie came out and did the, that great performance on for the Joni Mitchell thing, we said well, we were just we were sort of talking like we do, you know, well, what were some of the other things that just kind of blew us out of the water that you, you kind of weren't expecting, you know, but I guess this too, you know, until what it was just a few weeks before it happened that we even knew she was even doing this or right. that this was even happening. Uh, so Annie keeps a lot of things to herself and, and then she'll tell us, okay, this is going to happen. But, you know, she, she, you know, she's not, she, we, we don't know what's happening sometimes. So, you know, Hey, who knows? She may be working on another solo album. We just don't know about it yet. Let's all dream about it. I would say if she's doing a solo album, it's probably a covers album, you know. Well, who knows? Or maybe, uh, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll. Although hope. she said she didn't have the the grist to write, but maybe the pandemic gave her some, some. Uh... Anyways, I'm happy with you know a covers album or original album. Or... I'm happy with. I'm even going to say that I'm happy if she chooses to never do anything again because that's her right. She can. It's her right, and I think. So and and that was for what the Gershwin Prize is that what it was Gershwin Prize yeah, the library that's in, that's in her future trust me uh, yeah I think we should say that I think she's going to be a recipient oh, of that yeah. that, that was the whole point of showing you know showing about their songs being in there and all that yeah I think I think she again oh and I believe the person who produced that show I'm forgetting his name but he's the uh, guy Ehrlich. that produces Ken Ehrlich Ken Ehrlich yeah yeah that produces the Grammys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he had a he had an interview with somebody that I read that every one of the singers wanted to do both sides now. Everyone had said so. Well, and then Annie had said something to him that I've I've kind of worked out how I would do it. And as soon as he heard how what she, what she would do with it, he said, "Okay, it's hers." <laughs> well, you know, when I heard she was doing both sides now, I thought, well, they gave her the biggest song to do, other than maybe "Big Yellow Taxi," which was the was the you know the sing along at the end so and and, and then she have the she had the first line in that one too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh it was, it was great to see you and talk to you again yeah yeah so, um i i hope uh if you're listening to this on youtube 
put some comments and let us know what you think about our picks for uh, these performances and let us know what some of your picks are too. Yeah, I would really like to hear that. And and maybe it's one that remind me that I would say, oh yeah, I should have included that. Right. But yeah, I would like, and if you, if you, if any of these are new to you, let us know what you think. If you can find them on YouTube, most of them you'll be able to find. I think the Hosier and Annie Lennox duet, there's a way to find it. Yeah, uh, It's not on YouTube. I saw it on YouTube today, but it's in a weird kind of like, it's, Ooh, a little not box. Full, it's not full screen. It's like in a box and it, that's yeah. a hard one to get. They keep pulling anybody who puts it up, it gets pulled. And yeah, you know, if you didn't record it personally, you, you're probably out of luck. Why it's not on the Grammy website that you can look it up is beyond me, but <laughs> we don't control these things. I'm sure Why the Grammy museum in LA has not had the house of me exhibit. There is another question, but we won't go into that. House of Annie Lennox. Yeah. <laughs> house of Annie Lennox. Yeah. I mean, that seems tailor made. Yeah. Oh, well, and now the Hall of Fame should have it. Right. Right. Anyway. anyway <laughs> All right, we, Mark. If we ran the world, this is how we would do it. You <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> if we ran the world, we would ask Annie Lennox and she would tell us and then we would do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, thing, for things regarding her. <laughs> All right. Well, My great. God, if she listens, to, if she ever listened to us, she would probably think, what is with these guys? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Nice to see you, Mark. You too, Rex. All right, bye.